it's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. Nancy Bordine brings together two of her creative outlets in her book, What Do You See? Developing New Perspectives with Quilt Patterns. It's a children's book that features diverse children interacting with inspirations for traditional quilt patterns. I'm so happy to get to visit with you, Nancy. I saw a post on Facebook where they asked, I quilt and, and you had to fill in the blank, and you had an interesting and, and so I wanted to get to chat with you. Thank you so much for joining me on A Quilter's Life. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I really feel honored to be here. Great. Could you share a childhood memory? When I was a little girl, my parents owned a business, so they both worked six days a week. And we had a woman who came to the house and stayed with us kids and took care of the house. And we called her Graham because we felt so close to her. One of my favorite childhood memories is when it would just be Graham and I at the house. My brother and sister were in school, but I wasn't yet. So Graham and I spent a lot of time together. And she was a very industrious woman. We didn't waste time doing frivolous things. So she was always busy cleaning the house or doing the laundry. And when we would take a break every day at 11.30, because that's when Jeopardy came on, she would pull out her scrap basket and she would sit there and cut pieces for quilts. She was quite a quilter. She made quilts for all of her grandchildren. And even though we weren't her relatives by blood, we were certainly her relatives by association. And that's when I became curious about quilts. And she taught me how to do the pieces together and how to do the hand quilting. And it's just been something that I've enjoyed. Nice. Poor Graham, she was widowed several times. And so if she were to write out her name with all of the last names she's had in her life, she would have been Henrietta Real, Short, Schmals, and Little. <laughs> Which I always thought was a fun combination. <laughs> Can you tell us about employment you've had? I'm one of those people who knew what they were going to be from when I was four years old. My parents had given me a book for Christmas and one of those little golden books. Because my name is Nancy, they had given me this book called Nurse Nancy. And in my childhood, I saw a lot of doctors in hospitals and spent a lot of time around nurses. And I just knew that I wanted to be somebody who helped other people to feel better. So my career was in nursing. I worked in a hospital. I did home care. I worked as an educator for the hospital and as an educator for nursing students. That's kind of, I think, why my book deals with educating and using quilts as a way to educate. Would you like to share about where you live now and how you got there? When I finished nursing school, I really wanted to get back up to northern Michigan. So I came up to what they call Michigan's little finger. If you live in Michigan and someone asks you where you live, you hold up your hand and you point on your hand. So up here by the little finger, I really fell in love with that area. It's so pretty up here. We have Lake Michigan shoreline all around us. There are lots of peninsulas in this section. So we have miles and miles of shoreline. We also have some nice hills that are big enough to go skiing on. And so that's where I met my husband was on the ski hill. And we have been ski buddies ever since. I've never been skiing, but it looks like a lot of fun. The things that I like best about skiing is you're outside. You've got the sunshine on your face. You're with friends who enjoy doing the same things 
that you enjoy doing. And when you're going down the hill, it feels like you're flying, like you're taking wing. And it's such a feeling of letting go and just being free and soaring. That's my favorite thing I think about skiing is the uplifting part of it. That sounds wonderful. Is there anything else about your family you wanted to share? When we grew up and started graduating from high school, Graham Little made a quilt for each one of us as our graduation present. And the quilt she made for me was Grandmother's Fan. She was a very frugal woman. Graham Little had nine children under the age of 11 as a widow during the Great Depression. So she made the most of anything that she got her hands on. So her quilts are usually made out of scraps from her church's rummage sale, the clothes that don't sell. So unfortunately, my quilt, I can't use it anymore because it's just too fragile. It's had too much use before it became a quilt. But it is one of my prized possessions. And it really means a lot to me. I wrote in a blog about quilts that if my house were on fire and I could save one thing, it would be the quilt from Graham. And wouldn't you know it, two weeks later, we had a fire. And it was so out of control by the time we got the message that our place was on fire and could get home. There were five fire companies around our place. And there was no way we could run in and save anything at that point. But when the fire was over and everything had cooled off and days later, the firemen came to start exploring the cause of the fire for our insurance company, they pulled out this big roll of something that looked like a big old carpet roll and it was all burned on the edges. And I told them to look for that in the building because my vintage quilts were all rolled together like a carpet roll because that puts the least amount of strain on the fabric. I told them where it would have fallen when the floors and the roof caved in. And I said, if you find a big log roll, please bring it outside. And when they carried that out, my heart just leapt. It was like, oh my gosh, those are my quilts. And then I saw how charred it was on the outside and on the ends. And I thought, oh, please, please, please let Graham's quilt still be intact. So my husband and I carefully unrolled the log of quilts. And there in the center was my quilt from Graham Little. And it was definitely burned off on one edge, but generally intact. And I'm so grateful. That is something I am most grateful for is that my quilt survived the fire. And it only survived it because it had been rolled in a log. And the log, I rolled a sheet between each layer of quilt. So the whole thing was rolled in sheets and the sheets took the brunt of the fire. Wow. Amazing. If you had the opportunity to talk to your great-great-grandchildren way down the line, what would you like them to know about yourself? I would like them to know that I really cared about and for the people around me, that I never lost that spirit of being a nurse and serving others. But in my retirement, I chose to write books that had the potential to change, not change people's opinions, but to give people food for thought and recognize the humanity in each person. I would want them to know why quilts were so treasured by me, that quilts just represent hours and hours of love and prayers. I think of my quilt from Graham. When I took that to college and I was so alone from this small town and now I was at this Big Ten University and I would cuddle up in Graham's quilt every night and it was like being held in a hug, a very loving hug. I would want them to know that that's why quilts were so special to me. 
And I would hope that my book would still be around in some form or another for them to know how I tried to use quilts to get people to appreciate diverse input and be inclusive to marginalized people. And that my quilts were part of my social justice warrior arsenal. (laughs) That's great. Besides quilting, are there other crafts that you do or have done in the past? Well, I also enjoy writing. I wrote books when we were little kids. We wrote books for our younger brothers and sisters. And in adulthood, I wrote books for my friends, for birthday presents, for anniversary presents, as thank you presents to the neighborhood kids who would take care of our cats when we traveled. It's a creative thing. It's not that different than quilting, writing. You're taking all these little pieces, this variety of things, and figuring out how to put them together to tell one story, to create one image like you would for a whole quilt. It takes all kinds of pieces to make a whole quilt. It takes all kinds of experiences and ideas organized and pieced together to form a beautiful quilt. I try to do that with the books I write. I also try to encourage young people to be open to diverse ways of being, diverse ways of interacting with the spiritual parts of ourselves, with different ways of living with different, just that everybody is unique. And it takes all of our little unique pieces to make a beautiful world. It takes all those little pieces to make a beautiful quilt. Mm-hmm. Quilting and writing are two major hobbies. Do you have any other hobbies? Oh, my goodness. I like to garden. I like to make our landscape look pretty. Our, you know, our yard be inviting I have two cats who have always accompanied me in the garden and supervised because I certainly need that kind of help. I have an odd thing that my neighbors and I have been doing since the onset of the COVID pandemic. We were inspired by the people of Italy who were going out on their balconies in the cities and singing operas together. So my neighbors and I decided that we would gather outside everyone from their front porches and we would sing songs together and this morning my neighbors and I sang for the 854th time since COVID started and it's just been definitely therapy for us it got us outside every day and I live in northern Michigan so the weather isn't always pleasant to be outside But the neighbors have nicknamed us the Intrepids because unless it is lightning out, we are out there singing. We sing to just lift our voices together. I believe that he who sings prays twice. We sing because it's actually a form of therapeutic breathing, the controlled intake and expiration of your breath. We sing because the songs lift our spirits. And it's really nice to have that kind of personal connection through the pandemic. And we've enjoyed it so much that now that the restrictions are loosening and people are getting back to quote unquote normal, we still do it just because it means so much to us. I'm repairing an old blanket for one of the ladies in my singing group. I just put a piece of soft fabric on an embroidery hoop. And I'm going to build a patch for this old blanket, this heirloom blanket she's asked me to help her restore. And it's going to be embroidered with three songbirds for the three of us, her, her daughter, and myself, who sing together every day and are occasionally joined by other households from the neighborhood. And it's just our thing. So the three songbirds will be a perpetual reminder of our singing group. What a wonderful idea and how it's brought your neighborhood together, even 
though COVID tried to keep us apart. Mm -hmm. We didn't know each other very well at the beginning. We've really found a bond. We can ask anything of each other. You know, there were days during the pandemic when it was the thing that got me up in the morning was that I've got to get the songs ready. I'm the coordinator. And so every day I generate a song list kind of based on the national holidays. I go online to one of those calendars that has all the silly holidays in a year. And I find something that I can connect to a song that we sing. We've been asked by the newspaper once what our song list is predominantly made of. And we said, little old lady folk songs that make us happy to sing them. (laughs) The next question is, do your hobbies show up in your quilting? And that is definitely making that patch definitely Mm -hmm. is showing your singing in your quilting a bit. So are there other ways that your hobbies show up in your quilting? I would say another way that things I enjoy and quilting intersect is that I take my book to classrooms and I share it with typically first to fourth graders. When I take my book to classrooms, I also take a suitcase full of each quilt represented in my book and we do a show and tell. I love asking the kids questions that make them think and try to figure out the why of things. And it's a combination of sharing my book, sharing my quilts, and it's pretty much just a big show and tell session. I really loved show and tell in kindergarten. Is the quilt made by your grandma little your favorite quilt? Oh, definitely. I made a lot of quilts starting in high school. My sister and I made a quilt together for our brother's graduation gift. Then as my friends started to get married and have babies, I made baby quilts for each one of their firstborns. I've made them for my sister's children. And when I was dating my husband and we became engaged, I was traveling to California, going to meet his family. I had made a quilt for him. And with the scraps from the quilt that I made for my then boyfriend, I made dolls like my grandma made for us, for them. And so I gave them these dolls and I said, this is the same fabric as the quilt that I made for Uncle Larry. And I thought that was a fun way to tie together their Uncle Larry and me. How sweet. And I take it that was the first time you met them when you were giving them the dolls? Yes, it was the first time I met the little girls. That made such a great memory for them, I'm sure. They don't talk about it, but I hope it did. (laughs) While you're making your quilts, is there a tool that you're so happy you have? I kind of made a tool of my own. I wear a metal thimble on my left hand to hold underneath the hoop. And then on my right hand, which is my dominant hand, the hand that I would push the needle through with, I took a finger off a leather glove that already fit me really well, but had worn out in other places. And I used that glove finger as my thimble for pushing the needle through the several stitches. And then it had good grip on it because it was leather. I could still pick up the needle after it went through everything and pull the thread all the way through. So I like showing that one to the kids when I do classroom presentations that if you have a need, look around you for things that you could adapt, adopt, or apply to fill that need. Mm-hmm. I'm just picturing that leather glove because they are so nice and thick. What a wonderful thought. When you were coming up with that, Did it just dawn on you? Do you remember thinking, oh, that would work? Or had you looked around a little bit for it? I think it was one of the first things that came to mind. I knew that I had a glove that had developed holes in other places, but the middle finger was still intact. 
And then I kind of modified it a little bit. When I cut it out, I cut it out with lots of space, tried it on and said, okay, we can trim off that, but let's leave this and kept trimming it until it's the perfect tool now. Nice. With all the steps in quilting, do you like each step along the way or is there a particular step that you really love? I think my favorite step is in designing, deciding what I want the quilt to look like or having seen something that I want to try to replicate. So I figure out how to make that happen, cut out the pieces. I love piecing them together. I use a machine for the piecing, ironing them and just seeing, yes, you know, this is it. And then putting all the blocks together with the sashing and stuff and making, you know, the first time you see that whole design lay in there, that's another fun moment of quilting. And then I like the stitching because it kind of puts me in a zone when you do the hand quilting. It takes me a few rows. I usually have to pull out the first five minutes of work when I get in the groove because it takes me that long to really let go of everything else. But once I get into that point, it's fun to just keep moving forward. And I was the quilt lady for the school children in our area. And I did a living history for our museum. I was one of several stations. And when the kids would be traveling from one station to the next, I would just sit there in grandma's sewing rocker and keep working on my stitching. They would all come and I'd invite them to sit on the braided rag rug that I laid on the floor for them. When they all got there and all got settled down, I'd say, hmm, you might be wondering what I'm doing here. And I would then tell them that what I was doing was quilting. And I would show them how I used the different tools and how there were the three layers, the top piece layer, the center layer for padding and insulation, and the back layer that just helped hold everything together. And we did this living history thing every year in September. And our museum was right on the riverfront. My station was right along the river, so it was sometimes cool. The quilt that I was working on after the kids were all gathered on the rug, and I would toss it up in the air so that it landed over all of them. And we would all be underneath this one big quilt together. And I would say, what do you notice about being in here? Does anybody feel like it's warmer when we're all in here together? And they would always pick up on that, you know, because the quilt cut the wind and the quilt kept all of our body heat in there together. And so we tied that all to pioneer living for folks who had come to my area. The first Europeans started settling in this area in the 1850s and then tied all that into local history. The funnest thing about teaching the kids would be showing them different quilt patterns, you know, just blocks and such telling the story about the different designs. And then I would bring out a double wedding ring. And I would say, now this is a really special pattern. This pattern would only be made for newlyweds. And I would tell them about how quilting bees happened and what else happened at quilting bees. And I would say that all the women there stitched lots of love and that all of these connecting rings were their prayers, wishing you to have a very connected marriage that never came apart. And so I would say, for example, let's say that you, and I would pick one of the boys, these are fourth graders, we're going to be marrying you. And I would pick one of the shyest looking girls. And the class would start giggling and laughing about how silly it was that they would be getting married. And it just was a lot of fun to make the kids laugh and really got them immersed in quilt lore and hopefully nurtured an appreciation that will keep a love for the art going for generations to come. Yeah. I'm picturing a future podcast where someone says, I went to a museum once. (laughs) (laughs) 
Can you share your worst quilting experience? One of my best friends at work, a fellow nurse, was pregnant. And for some reason, I had been inspired to make a double Irish chain for her baby quilt. This was one of the first attempts at something as complicated as that. And I had a bunch of scraps. And I didn't realize that when I started putting these scraps together, that they weren't exactly square. And so the Irish chain kind of went at a funny angle and not everything matched up just right. And it kind of looked like someone had kind of stretched the whole thing and distorted it. Oh my gosh, I remember working on that frantically, trying to get the hand stitching done before the baby shower. And even the day of the shower, I was stitching madly in both senses of the word to try to get it done. And I was so embarrassed taking it to the party unfinished. I don't think anybody else was concerned that it wasn't finished. The baby wasn't finished cooking yet, you know, but that was one of my lesser pleasant quilt memories for sure. (laughs) Sounds like it would have been a very unique quilt for that baby. Yeah, unfortunately. (laughs) Why do you think you continue to make quilts when you could be spending your time doing anything else? I think I still like making quilts because I see the potential in things. My husband yesterday brought an armful of blue jeans out of his closet and said, I don't know what you want me to do with these things, but I can't wear any of them anymore. They're just too holy. And I said, oh, just put them in a pile right there because I have an idea for a quilt to make from them. Where am I going to fit that time in with everything else I have going on? But just the idea, I saw something on the internet of some clever thing somebody had done with blue jeans, particularly with the seams in the blue jeans and how they did kind of an on-point log cabin pattern with the seams. And I thought, I want to do that. I want to try to make that. So that's what keeps me quilting. The potential for something that could be something fun to create. That sounds real interesting. I haven't seen that yet. Well, if I get it finished, I'll send you a picture of it. I bet you it'll just be a picture of the first block and a long time between that and finishing the whole thing. I thought you were going to say one block and you would end up making a pot holder. Don't tempt me with that kind of an idea because that would stop me. And I need to see things through to the end. It's just in my nature to see things to fruition. Yeah, it will look neat when you're done. I think you may have already told me, who do you make your quilts for? I make quilts for people that I love, people that have been a good friend to me, people who have helped me when I needed help and I've helped them when they needed help. I can't make a quilt just to sell it. I need the personal connection, that bond to inspire me to do that much work. That's an interesting way to put it, to inspire you. I know how much I enjoy knowing who the quilt is going to go to. So I'm thinking about that person as I'm working on the quilt. But the thought of inspiring you to make that quilt, I like that. Oh, thanks. Are you working on a special quilt right now? I think the special quilt I'm making right now is my next children's book. It's going to be a upper elementary school chapter book. It has in it my interest for fibers because I'm also very interested in vintage clothes. So there's a heavy emphasis on clothing of the time in the diary. It's a story of a young girl who finds a 1920s diary in an old building and starts to read it. And it leads her into a mystery that must be solved to rescue a treasure. How fun. Describe your sewing space. My sewing space has always been my kitchen table, which is unfortunate when you need to feed people. And projects 
I would like to not be interrupted and have to keep putting things away and then getting things back out. After our fire, when we did reconstruction, there's a kind of a big open space now that I intend to make my sewing area. And I purchased a very long antique table at a Goodwill that has arms that fold up and it's lots of space for laying things out and cutting and sewing and laying things out, you know, monitoring the progress of things. So as one of the silver linings of having a fire is that you get to modify spaces to your evolving lifestyle. Yeah. I can't imagine how much you lost in the fire, though. I think it would be hard for anybody to imagine. I don't think there are many people out there who had a vintage clothing collection that included over 650 pairs of vintage and antique shoes. And the rest of my collection was equivalents of what you would have in a wardrobe. The rest of my collection were the equivalent dresses, hats, coats, jewelry, all the other things that you would have worn with fabulous shoes. It was really hard. It felt like a huge part of my identity was taken away when the fire destroyed my whole collection. I had one piece of historical clothing that survived the fire intact. And that was because it was in a museum box in the center of a whole pile of museum boxes. And the fire fires had already gotten the fire under enough control that that one last box in the center didn't burn. It was a huge loss for us in many, many ways. Mm. But life goes on. It has to. You know, you just have to pick up the pieces and say... What fulfills me? Let's focus on that and pick up pieces here and there and carry on. Like you said, unless you experience something like that, there's just no way to ever imagine it. You know, it was really heartwarming. The people who came up to us after our fire, we live in a residential area of our community. So we get lots of traffic. We're between a couple of schools. So Our fire was highly visible and strangers were pulling up for days, would pull up to our house and just drop off. They said, here is a cooler of things, water, soda pop, candy bars, things you might need while you're cleaning up the mess. Another person who had been through a fire said, this is what you're going to need to wash things. And gave me Tide, Blue Dawn dish detergent, and baking soda. So the quilts that survived my fires all soaked in an old clawfoot bathtub with Tide, Blue Dawn dish soap, and baking soda. Neighbors brought meals to us. Other people drove by when I was out singing with my neighbors and just handed us gift cards to restaurants. There was one kid who came by. Oh, it's just a hoot to think about him. I'm out there in the backyard trying to salvage bits and pieces of things to do some creative stuff with, you know, pieces of dresses, a little sash here, a little flounce from there that weren't completely destroyed. And this car pulls up and it was one of those muscle cars that made a lot of noise. And this young man gets out of the front door and he's got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. He walks around the car, opens a back door and grabs a bouquet of flowers. Brings them over to me in the yard. He said, I tried to give these flowers to my mom today. And she said, I want you to go out and find somebody who needs something to brighten their day. And he said, and you look like somebody who could use a bouquet of flowers. And I didn't even think to ask him what his name was. I barely got out of thank you as he went back to his hot rod and crawled in and roomed off. It really is amazing how people just had so much compassion for us after our fire. People we didn't even know. 
It's so wonderful to hear how sweet people can be. So many times we hear the negative, and it is so great to hear the positives that come out of this. Thank you for sharing that. I wasn't the one being generous and charitable and compassionate. It was just the people around us. I'm picturing that boy going back and telling his mom what he did. He was a good kid. His mom was raising him well. Mm -hmm. Share a quilting tip. Other than the obvious ones, you know, wash all your fabrics before you use them so that you don't have changes in the shrinkage the first time they get washed. Press your seams. I found a beautiful quilt square at a garage sale recently, and I thought, wonderful, I'll be able to show this to the school children. And it was just a single block, and on the back, you know, I'd be able to show them the back and show them how quilts were made. And on the back, the maker hadn't pressed the seams. I thought, oh, this is going to make it a lot harder for me to use this one for show and tell. But I just think it makes such a difference in being able to get your corners to match. I was taught, you press your seams all through a sewing project, every seam. Mm -hmm. Well, we've talked a little bit about the book you've had out. So tell us the name of your book and how you came up with the name for it. My book is titled, What Do You See? Subtitled, Developing New Perspectives with Quilt Patterns. It was my idea to just call it, What Do You See? Because I wanted it to start out with a prompt to look around. I wanted my book to be something that stimulated children to think. It was my publisher who wanted to put quilting in the title. So we toyed with a lot of things and ended up on developing new perspectives because I wanted to put lesson plans in my book using geometry and the physical geometry of quilt to help kids see fractions, to help kids identify shapes. There were so many different levels that you could teach at using the way a quilt is designed. I also have a real strong interest in diversity and inclusion and equity for all. So I included lesson plans that get the kids to think about the beauty of each person's unique expression of inspiration and how you can put those pieces together each individual person's input combined with all the other input makes a beautiful quilt. To do that, I have the kids decorate coffee filters as if they were the blocks of a Dresden plate. And we admire each child's individual creation of a Dresden plate. Then we lay all those coffee filters in a grid on the floor so that it actually looks like a Dresden plate quilt. And they see how each individual's contribution to the whole makes the whole all the more beautiful. So those were things that I wanted to include. And that's how we developed the addition, the subtitle, Developing New Perspectives with Quilt Patterns. I love how you tie that object lesson in with your book. How fun that you get to share it with school children. It is fun. I enjoy doing it. They always come up with things. They always will say something that you realize, wow, what an ingenious way to look at that. Kids have a way of surprising you like that. They sure do. I was noticing on the cover, each child is wrapped in a different quilt. And I was curious, are these quilts pictures of quilts that you have or have made or are they just quilts that help teach a lesson for that particular item? Well, the book is a picture book, so they call that a spread. So each child on the cover of the book and the quilt that they are wrapped in are used on each spread of the book. When you open it and you see the two pages, the child is on one page looking at an inspiration 
for the quilt that is on the opposite page, as well as all the differences in the skin tones and the dress of the children. There's also very many levels of physical ability with the aim that any child who opens this book and thumbs through the pages will be able to find someone in there that they have a connection with. It looks like them or dresses like them or has the same adaptive equipment so that every child feels included. And when I take my book to classrooms to read it and do the diversity exercise, each one of the quilts in the book, I have a real quilt of that version. Some of them that I've made and many others that I have found garage sailing and state sailing and such like that. I want to get to the writing process in a second, but you're tying a quilt to each spread. How was it to pair up a child to a quilt? There were several variations of this, and I would create them, and then I would cut it and literally paste it on a bigger spread. So the first question is, what do you see when you look at a quilt? Do you see a star? Do you see fireworks? Do you see the sun? What inspired that person to make that quilt? So the boys are both wrapped in a Lemoyne star quilt. Can you see how they're looking up at the stars? Mm -hmm. So it says, do you see stars twinkling in the sky? Turn the page. Do you see flowers reaching towards the sun? So it goes on and on with all the different quilts. There's a flying geese, grandmother's fan, which looks just like the one my grand made for me. That's grandmother's quilt. Autumn leaves, tumbling blocks, tree of life, sailboats, and crazy quilts. (laughs) When I show the children the illustration of the crazy quilt, they all notice that there is a small hand on the quilt. And that is because years ago, I found this little sampler, a little silk sampler that was made in 1898. And she had dated it and put her name on it, her first name, and her hand. She had traced her hand and then appliqued that on there. Each piece of the crazy quilt was a different stitch work. So I think this was her sampler, learning how to do all these different stitches. So the fourth grade kids would ask me, well, how old was she? And I said, she didn't write that on the quilt, so I don't know for sure, but she left her handprint for us. So let's see if her hand is bigger or smaller than your hand. The quilt, because it was so fragile, it was shattering silk. I put the quilt in a picture frame with plexiglass over it. So it was light enough for the children to pass around. And they would each put their hand on it. And they would look up with big eyes and say, her hand is the same size as us. She must have been in the fourth grade. (laughs) Oh, fun. Tell me a little bit about your writing process. My writing process usually starts out with having been in an inspiring place. A lot of the books that I've written are from vacations, something I had seen or experienced, and it just really struck me and made me think of what would be the possibilities? What might have happened before and after that? So one of the books that I wrote was about an inn that my husband had gone to. We had one weekend at this bed and breakfast. The innkeepers allowed us to kind of poke around in some of the outbuildings. And I was just so fascinated by what might be in there and what stories it might tell. And that turned into the novel of the young girl finding a diary in an old condemned building and getting to know this young girl who had been there so many years ago in the very same place where she stood and experiencing so many of the very same things she was experiencing. Publishers told me that this book about the girl at the inn and the diary was not multi-ethnic. 
And that's the only thing that's selling these days. They said, if you want to sell children's books, they have to be multi-ethnic. I live in a very white bread community. There's not a lot of diversity in my area here, but we do have a Native American tribe that is close by. So I thought, well, there we go. That's the diversity that I can include in my book because there would have been Anishinaabe people still living in the area when this young girl was there in the 20s. So I turned the character of the old grandmotherly lady that's named Henrietta, like my grandma, I turned her into a woman of Anishinaabe descent. And so now I'm rewriting that book so that it will be more market worthy. So because they told me that that book hadn't been multi-ethnic enough, I started learning about the Anishinaabe culture, started studying it and studying their philosophy and their ways of being and the real cores of their belief system. And I came to respect it so much that I thought, what a tragedy that our government at one point sought to totally destroy all the Native cultures. A heavy part of the arsenal when they went about that work was the the Indian boarding schools. So I decided to write a story about a young girl who grows up in the traditional ways, but then is taken away to the boarding school and about that culture clash. And my hope is that by reading this book, young people will see that there was a lot of beauty that was almost completely destroyed. We really have to protect the few shards of those cultures that exist and nurture them and bring them back as much as possible because it's the treasure trove of wisdom. So those are the things that inspire me to write. What can I use around me to make people think in a broader worldview that is more humanistic and inclusive? Mm. Yeah. Share how exciting it was to see what do you see in print? When I knew that my book had been printed, had gone through that process, and they had shipped right of the books to my home, I watched the mailman like a hawk. Every day, I watched him get out of his truck at the end of the block, and I looked to see if he might be carrying a package for me. And when he got back into the truck to come to this end of the block and start anew, I was just on pins and needles waiting for him to reach in and pick up this big box and drop it on my doorstep. And there were some delays. So it just really enhanced the suspense. So when I finally got the box and I opened it, it's like seeing a newborn child. You've been carrying it. You've been developing it. But you really don't know what it's going to look like when it's finally done. And so opening that box and just peeling off the packaging and seeing my book for the first time, I remember saying, oh my gosh, it's real. Look, honey, it really exists. And my friends who write have shared similar experiences. Seeing it for real is just giddy. You jump up and down on your tiptoes. It's just so exciting. It's so thrilling. It really happened. I've really been published. Amazing. Where can we go to find your book? My book is available on Amazon. Also, you can order it at any of your local bookstores. You just need to know my name, Nancy Bordine, and the title, What Do You See? That should be enough to get it. You don't have to remember developing new perspectives with quilt patterns. I encourage people to order from their local booksellers because I really want to encourage the support of small businesses. But I understand not everybody has a bookstore handed to them. And so Amazon works for a lot of people too. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to mention the illustrations are really cute. How did you get connected with, is his name Johnny Jimison? 
Donnie Jemison is my illustrator. My publisher suggested him to me. He is someone they had worked with in the past. And in this digital age, I was able to go online, see other things he had created, pick a handful of them and say something in this spirit, something in this mood, something that brings this kind of warmth to it is what I wanted. And people have told me that the kids are very engaging. You know, they have big eyes that little children relate to so easily. He did a great job, not only on the kids, but on the quilts too. Thanks. I told him when we were talking before him, before he began the work, I said, I think there's a a potential market in this book for grandmothers and aunts and other people who do a lot of quilting to want to share their love of this craft by buying this book for the little ones in their lives. So I think it's real important that we be accurate with the quilt. I think he did a real great job of that. Yes, he did. Nancy, is there anything else you wanted to share with me today? I would encourage anyone who has an heirloom quilt to take precious care of it. If you are hanging it, hang it somewhere where there is never direct light on it. Here in the States, a southern wall is good for that. I would encourage them, if they're storing it, to not fold it. That that puts a lot of strain on the fibers and that ideally wrap an old carpet roll cardboard in a sheet, roll the quilt onto that, and then wrap the whole thing in a sheet and store it horizontally will be the most gentle way to keep it for posterity. But enjoy them. They're so precious. They're a representation of so much hard work and love and creativity. Mm -hmm. Appreciate them and take good care of them. That's great. Nancy, thank you so, so much for sharing your story on A Quilter's Life. I so enjoyed having you on. Thank you, Paula. It was my pleasure to be here and to support quilting. Bye-bye. Bye. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening.